Heavy Cardboard, episode 150, The Roundup. Coming to you from Boston, Mass, and Edinburgh, Scotland. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I'm Edward. And I'm Tony. All right. Hey, Tony. How are you doing today, man? Or tonight, I guess, as it were. Yeah, it's uh, like 10 o'clock here. But yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I have my health, which is, uh, you know, what we're, what's important at the moment, right? Right. Uh, big picture stuff. There you go. Exactly. And exactly. Uh, now, anybody that has been a member of the herd for any appreciable amount of time knows of you, knows you, has seen you on stream, so on and so forth. But I don't think you've ever been on the podcast before, have you? I have not been on the podcast. It's just, uh, you know, for better or for worse. <laughs> All right. So tell folks uh, a little bit about you, your gaming background and such. Okay. Uh, my, name is, uh, my name is Tony Makos. I live in Edinburgh, Scotland. I've been here for about 20 years. Uh, I have been a hobby gamer, I guess they call it. It's a horrible term, but... It really um, is. For, it, is, it is really. Probably... I don't know, probably since I was about 10. And then, you know, life gets in the way as you kind of grow up and, you know, you go and study and you get jobs and stuff like that. And then kind of fell back into it maybe, maybe seven or eight years ago, probably seven or eight years ago, um, after, strangely, after meeting my, after discovering my wife was a secret board gamer, which is... <laughs> How, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, we'll dig into that in a minute, but okay, <laughs> all right. So, so... Slowly, but sure. so it became. Oh, you're into board games. Cool. Okay, that now becomes a potential birthday present or a potential Christmas present. And so I, w I opened up the world of uh, what does board gaming look like in like 2012 or 2013 or whatever it was. What and opened up the internet and went modern board games. Okay, let's Google modern board games. What happens now? And uh, yeah, the rest is quite literally history. And I think the f I think the first thing I bought for Christmas might have been like, you know, Arkham Horror or Battlestar Galactica or something like that. And then, you know, cut to, you know, eight nine years later, and there's a Calax in the other room with you know three hundred games on it. And uh, weird how that happens, isn't it? You know, <laughs> it's not my fault. It's a hundred percent my fault and her fault. But but you know. Let's get into it. So what have you been playing over the last however far back you want to go? <laughs> I'm not going to go back that far. Although there's a point where I can go back and then go back a few months for, further than that and it won't have changed the numbers. You know what I, mean? <laughs> um, I was thinking about, you know, the, 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 the games that we've managed to kind of get to the table uh, over the last, uh, over the last say, six, say, six months or so. And bearing in mind that that I've not played anything, anything more than a two-player game since December, with one notable exception, but I'll get to that. So there's been a lot of two-player games, and I imagine a lot of the board gaming community has been exploring what's what's good at two players, what's good at low-player counts, sure, what is terrible at low-player counts, what can I not play until I get people people in. So I think. 
one of the things that, that we started exploring, and it's a fairly deep hole to go down uh, over the last, say, nine or ten months, are the PAX games. A lot of the, well, I say a lot of the PAX games, I had never played a PAX game uh, a year ago. Okay. I had not played any of them. They always felt daunting, intricate, opaque. And they are. I, I, I was just going to say, I think all of those things do apply. I mean, I think <laughs> it's fair. Yeah, even out the other side, uh, having played a bunch of them now, they're still daunting and opaque, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but they do lend themselves to small player counts. And they are um, exceptionally good uh, as two players. Certainly, um, certainly the one specifically that, 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 that we've been playing. We started playing, I bought PAX Transhumanity at the very last game convention I was at, okay. which, was, which was March last year. March of Just 20, bef- yeah, right before things March. locked down, yeah. Yeah, literally everything locked down the week after. We went to Aircon in Harrogate, which is a lovely, say, thousand people convention. Um, and I picked up PAX Transhumanity there. Took a week to learn it uh, properly. And myself and Helen... Uh, who's my wife, because I realised I didn't actually mention her name. Um, and we started playing Pax Transhumanity, and we were hooked from the start. Absolutely hooked, because it's a fantastic two-player game. It really, um, I, I would argue that I've enjoyed it at every player count that I've played yeah, it sure. at so far, from solo on up. So I can yeah. relate uh, to that. So what is it, what is it about uh, Pax Transhumanity uh, from Matt Eklund that, that, uh, that hooked y'all? It, thematically it's very interesting even though I would kind of argue that out of a number of the PAX games you start to see past the theme very quickly you start, I, I think Transhumanity starts be, being about the mechanics more than the theme reasonably quickly and that's compared to say something like PAX, Ren, uh, PAX Renaissance which I think the theme is, the theme is huge and everything you're doing le- leans into the theme but with Pax Transhumanity, we found it was a we found it was a fantastic kind of head to head rush to the finish, and it's it, it's one of the Pax games that says at its very beginning, make sure you're winning and then shut this game down as quick as you can, right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's Pax Transhumanity. It's get yourself in a position and then shut it down, so you can finish a game of Pax Transhumanity in 25 minutes if the right cards come out. You can just you know. You can you can just go. Everything's coming up. Me, great, done. I've won. You can't stop me. I've only got two actions, but hey, one is to get that card. Two is to win. Job done. And then, and this doesn't happen with every game. We set it up again because you know it's only taken us half an hour to go through it. I think we like. I think we we <coughs> excuse me. We got into the mechanics very quickly. We found a lot of. We found the. The financial board, which I think was kind of inherited from Pax Emancipation, the kind of how the how the wealth works, mm-hmm. with your kind of layers of wealth. Uh, we found that very clever and very an interesting little puzzle on its own. And I think we must have played it over the space of the first six weeks of getting it, say, 14, 15 times. Oh, wow. Just, just kept at it. Just absolutely kept at it. And ha- probably not played it in a while because we kind of wore it out a little bit and Things get replaced by other things. Oh, sure, um, that's reasonable. But, yeah, but loved, absolutely loved it. 
um, introduced it to others, played it at three, played it at four. But given the option, I think I'd play it with two every time. It just, it, it, if it outstays its welcome, it's because you've made it outstay its welcome. You know, the, or the other player has forced the game to carry on uh, just when you were about to win. And then, you know, the, the whole game swings the other way. It's a very, it, you know, it's very, oh, it's me now, now it's you, and then it's me. Oh, I'm going to win, you're going to win, Who, who's going to win? And then there's, you know, a lot of swear words being kind of uh, <laughs> uh, transmitted at the table, as you can imagine. But, um, but yeah, for, for, for a game, for our first kind of lockdown, say, you know, March, April last year, it was our go-to. Um, it was just, oh, we've got an hour spare. Set up the market. Let's go. Nice. So apps absolutely loved it. And that led into led into a fairly massive rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, okay, keep going. Go. All right. So rabbit okay. hole of what? Just PAX games in general or what? Well, I mean, I'm on the PAX games, so I'll, I'll kind of carry on with them. I, I, once, once we'd kind of worn out transhumanity a little bit, I kind of read into a few other things and kind of went, okay, what's next? Um, we bought Emancipation. We played Emancipation a couple of times, but Emancipation is very much... <sighs> emancipation is the, is the flip side of transhumanity in that, whereas transhumanity is, is a game where you try to put yourself in a winning position and then shut it down, Emancipation is a game that goes, okay, the game is going to last this long, and then it's going to last this long again. Because you have your cooperative stage of emancipation, right. and you have your competitive part of it. And I think coming off the back of transhumanity, uh, it didn't... It, it, it's more opaque, obviously. Uh, the, 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 theme was, the theme was very interesting. The, the rulebook less so. Um, but we, we felt it was much more of a demanding kind of evening. Emancipation isn't something you just whip out and go, ah, let's have a quick game of this. And, and so while we, were, while we were very interested in all the kind of other mechanics that were, kind of, uh, that, that were brought into it and the manipulation of kind of uh, that was what was going on on the board, um, it felt a little bit too, felt a little bit flabby. It felt a little bit kind of too big for what we were looking for at the time. Um, but it was very, very interesting. See, very, and, and you know, I, I agree with everything you're saying about that uh, Pax Emancipation's my I would argue my least favorite Pax game mm. and I mm. feel like it's the most overhead in intense uh as yeah, far as agreed. just there's so much there's just so much and it just never resonated with me and it's heavy and I I mean mm -hmm. that thematically I mean that uh just feeling wise whereas I feel like Pax Transhumanity can be a little looking forward in a positive light. Uh, yeah. Pax Emancipation just felt weighty and just oof. And I, 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 it, it just never grabbed me. So I, I can relate to that. In a way that we started to see Pax Transhumanity as like a, a bun fight. You know, we, it, we started to get to the point where after having played it seven or eight times, the theme kind of fell away for us a little bit, which is no bad thing. We, we'd absorbed the theme and we understood and, and we understood what was happening. We were enjoying seeing new cards come up and the, and, and, and the like and reading about the ideas. Right, and reading, and reading the, the, the theme and the, right, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, about the, the 
you know, potential futuristic yeah. things that it's talking really, about. Yeah. Really interesting, really positive. Flavor kind of lent itself, yeah, yeah, lent itself yeah. to the mechanics and stuff. Um, but when you're playing, you know, eight, nine, ten games with the same person, it just becomes this combative, sure. right, <laughs> my go, right, I'm going to hammer you this time type thing. So we start to see through the theme and just got to, straight down to the mechanics. It was straight down to, um, you know, we'd get through the game so quickly. It was just cube on here. I'll take that card, right? Cool. I've got, I'll take the think tank, right? We'll take a patent over here. We'll stick that card under there. All oh, the cards have got all a mess again. Okay, let's put them all back. Um, and, and, and so it, we we became very, it became like fencing a little bit with that. It was just... It, Jab, Perry. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It yeah. really was. It was just, haha, you didn't see that cube coming, did you? No, I didn't. And um, I've got to say, that isn't something that I thought before I'd ever played a PAX game and before I'd ever really read into them, they just had this kind of mythical quality of being, oh, these heavy, heavy kind of... Unwieldy kind of... Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And suddenly we were kind of couldn't wait to get back to the table to kind of have this joust with cubes and cards on the table, you know? And so then Emancipation comes in and just goes... <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait! Okay, so these are these, you know, big, weighty and, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, 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 and so, and I I would argue uh, that in my experience at least, I would say the original Pax Premier, I would say that Pax Emancipation, those are the two big, like mm. really, I don't want to say unwieldy because that's that's doing them a disservice, but I feel like those are the two that really, if you want to be intimidated by <laughs> by what a PAX game, you know, uh, the breadth of what PAX games can be, I think that would be on the heavier end of them. Whereas okay. on the, I don't want to say lighter, because the, that seems too... It's all relative, right? Right. And I mean, these aren't, these aren't ever going to fall into the thinky uh, filler category. <laughs> but you have PAX Premier 2nd Edition, you have PAX Viking, you have... From the sounds of it, and and from as you're describing it, uh, maybe a little bit less so, but I would say those two would be on the lighter end of things. Whereas Pax Transhumanity, Pax Renaissance, Pax Porphyriana fall somewhere in between those mm. two ends. Mm. That's kind of where I see how it goes. But again, my perspective might be a little skewed because I've played all of them. Right, yeah, you have, yeah, and and we were kind of going down a kind of going down a kind of journey of kind of going, okay, we've played this one to death. Uh let's let's grab the next one. And we didn't have any kind of uh you know, we didn't have any kind of plan to kind of go, okay, well the next one we must play must be this one. Or the next one one after that should be this. You know, we didn't kind of great have a have a great roadmap. Okay, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Precisely. Um, I feel like just, I failed you then, Tony. I'm sorry. No, no, not at all. Not at all. There were some excellent online resources available <laughs> to me to explore these, these, these avenues, right? Uh, and so the next, so it, it became just what falls into our lap, right? What, uh, what, what do we have available? Emancipation became available. We, uh, we, we played it. Meh, fine. Done. The next thing that became available to us, thankfully because of Kickstarter, was... Pax Premier, Premier Second Edition, nice. Which, which shock horror! I had never played up to that point, and that would have been—I can't remember when you gave it the award last year because I can't remember when the awards happened. But 
whenever the Golden Elephant Awards happened. Normally it, it would have been in May, but I can't remember because 2020 is a little off. Exactly. But anyways, yeah. right, yeah. But uh, when that was announced, I still hadn't played the game. And so, I, because I knew that, you know, I had, I was late to the party with the PAX games. I had backed the second, like the second printing of the second edition or whatever. And so then that suddenly arrived and, you know, we rubbed our hands together and went, okay, PAX number three, let's get into this. And in a similar way to Transhumanity, we were hooked, absolutely hooked. It's, it's phenomenal. And I don't need to tell you that, right? <laughs> don't need to tell anyone listening to every cardboard that PAX Premier Second Edition is a good game. I, I, I feel like that's a fair statement. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I don't think you'll get a whole lot of people that argue with you. Between no. just the, the ease of getting into the game, as well as yeah. the way the, I think, the setting and the theme come through. Uh, because I'll be honest, uh, the great game, i.e., you know, 18th, 19th century, or, or I guess mostly 19th century, uh, Britain versus Russia versus Afghanistan. Completely ignorant about that part of history. No, wait, had, you, didn't, you didn't know about that? Yeah, oh. my, no, my bad. Um, so, <laughs> so thanks to Cole for, for turning me on to that part of history and making it uh, something that I was completely oblivious to and made it a compelling story, right? Abs absolutely. It, um, yeah, we were totally taken by it. And, and sure, we had, been, we had been led up. It felt to me that we were kind of, we had led ourselves up to that point, having played another couple of kind of PAX games, even though it's clearly, it's a, clearly, it's a different design, it's a different designer. Um, but by this point, you know, it, sh it still shares kind of, shares genetics with with the previous with the previous games we have we had played and yeah that that was that was us for a couple of months in a similar kind of way just okay let's let's just leave it set up and then i just play um those games can be relatively quick maybe not as quick as uh pax transhumanity i think we could you know we had games of pax transhumanity that lasted 20 minutes when one of us was doing very badly but premier doesn't maybe you know premier isn't maybe that zippy um, but we found, and again, this is kind of situationally because of lockdown, um, that one of the best things about second edition was there's an excellent two-player game in there, but the addition of that third bot that you can include to it just blew it wide open again for two players because suddenly, you know, suddenly there's another fake player at the table and completely changing, uh, how, completely changing your dynamics. Uh, and, and just introducing kind of much more, meat, much more meat to it, and yeah, so so we probably played that more than we even played Transhumanity. It was it was, um, it was fantastic. Uh, and, and the production quality doesn't hurt on that. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> the, 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 my wife was frequently picking up pieces, going, "This is so shiny. This is so nice." It's so you know, it, it, yeah, they they uh, they killed it with their production on uh, on Premiere second edition and, and so now full disclosure i still have yet to mess with the bot in pax premier second edition so is it how is the overhead now it's the reason i'm asking this is there, there's some of the games that i'm going to be talking about i will be able to commend the ai and the bot <laughs> and how good that is and others less so uh but how is that and would you would you recommend playing PAX Premier Second Edition with it always or as a change of pace or what? 
it's definitely it's definitely optional, and it's it's definitely not uh oh we're setting it up for a two player so we have to put the bot in um l- relatively low overhead uh it's a it's a third player that is immediately feels more powerful than both of you so the so both players have this common kind of goal of trying to make sure the bot doesn't win as well um so we found the overhead was uh, the, the overhead to run it was low the 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 overhead from the point of view of making the game more complex and more and, and more kind of challenging um yeah it, i mean it definitely does that but we played six or seven games of it before we introduced it and then when we introduced it we went whoa right okay game on right. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you gone back to playing without the bot at any point um or is it one of those okay once once you have kind of gotten really comfortable playing two player and you've introduced the the AI player uh not wanting to go back or is it just uh apples and giraffes type thing to where it just depends on the type of the experience you want I think as you say it's apples and giraffes Edward it's definitely apples and giraffes because I think the beauty of it is it makes it such a different challenge for for two of you that um that it's very easy then to just go okay um it thrashed us, so let's remove it and have a game just with me and you. And it's suddenly you have a, you, you know, the dynamic changes again. And we found it very optional and we didn't find it any less compelling to kind of go back to two. Okay, that's good. That's, that's yeah. awesome, to, it that's sounds I mean. like, it, right? It feels like, a, it feels like a very, very well thought out expansion that you kind of buy and go, oh, look, a third player. Should we bolt this onto the game tonight? Yeah, let's bolt this onto the game. And then you play and go, uh, next time we play it, let's not add the expansion this time. You know, that, that, that kind of thing. Um, it didn't feel vital for two players, but it makes it really interesting. We've, we, it's the only game in the last six months, I'd say, that we have played around the table uh, with more than myself and my wife. Because... Our government, messy, messy and terrible though it is, allowed us to have Christmas off. <laughs> right? Okay. All right. So there's a, there's a, you can go and read about what a terrible mix up they did, but um, they allowed uh, some household mixing over Christmas. Then they went back on it and decided that it was only going to be in Scotland for Christmas Day. So what we did on Christmas Day is we went round to a friend's house who lives like 10 minutes around the corner and we spent Christmas with them. Uh, they have a you have a young kid, a pair of them, so the four of us. So I took it round and taught them how to play Pax Premier, and we had a four-player uh, Pax Premier. So no bot or anything there, just four players. Went on a little bit longer than I would have liked, but teaching two new players, you know, it's, that's that's the way it goes. Um, had a great time, and that's the last time I ever saw anyone else apart from my wife at a table. <laughs> Christmas Day, twenty twenty. All right, but, but but we spent we spent it with Pax Premier. There are worse ways to spend it, I would reckon. Yeah, yeah. What about yourself? That's en- that's enough for me. Tell me, tell me about you. What you've been doing for the last on the table for the last wee while? Well, I, I mean, I, I figure the best way to do this is go backwards for a while and just kind of go from there, right? Because <laughs> sure. a, it's it's kind of recency bias. It's it's stuff that's most recent in my head, as well as I don't know how far back to go. Um. <laughs> 
so yeah let me go ahead and start off with uh there there's been uh, I'll, I'll talk about uh uh a solo game as well as a a two-player game and uh starting off with uh comancheria mm. try that again comancheria there we go i think that's how you say it but the rise and fall of the comanche empire and this is designed by joel toppin uh published by gmt games this is Joel's second game in, I, I guess you could call it the series. His original one was Navajo Wars. I have not played Navajo Wars yet. I do own it, but I had heard that basically Comancheria is probably a better entry point if you want to get into these games just because it, it's kind of an evolution, right? It's kind of like uh, how... We're talking about Pax Premier, how Pax Premier 2nd Edition, I would argue, is easier to get into than Pax Premier 1st Edition, and they are very different games. And so it's an evolution of how Cole Worley designed his, and I, I, I feel like Comancheria is very similar uh, in that vein for Joel Toppin. So I was intimidated by this. It's a solo-only game, and it has an AI or a bot or the game runs itself, however you want to word that. And I was, I was definitely nervous about it. I was, I was concerned about how well I would be able to show the game off. But also, I was just concerned that this is a, this is a big game. Like, this is not something, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy one, mm. I would say. And so dug into it, and kudos to Joel. He made a nine-part series. Of videos that he was using Vassal, the the online um, gaming platform uh, that uh, predates stuff like Tabletop Simulator and and all of those, um, mm. and predominantly I think used for war games, but might be for other things. Anyway, I digress. He made a nine part series over the course of I don't know, you'll call it between four and six hours, all the videos total of wow. how to walk through the playbook in Comancheria. And did an amazing job. And honestly, that's how I was able to learn the game as well. And then I streamed that and uh, played it yesterday, in fact, and really, really enjoyed it. Nice. For a war game, especially a solo war game, I had to reference the rule book maybe two or three times total. Whoa. Otherwise, I was able to entirely followed the flow of the game using the player aids that came with the game and just make decisions in the game. Now, in hindsight, I think there were like two things I got wrong here or there or whatever, but overall, uh, I think it flowed really well. It's very procedural in that there are, okay, you're going to do this. You're going to go through these steps within these steps. There may be another procedure kind of like a, a, a subroutine of a subroutine of the main routine of the procedure. So there's a whole lot of those, but the way the player aids are done, they're done in such a way that it's just, okay, hey, when you're going to be taking actions, you have like four options to take actions. What, what things do you want to do? I want to do this. And it just runs you through those steps. It's not a flow chart like in a, in a coin game, in the coin series. Mm -hmm. I think the flow charts, and the way that's laid out inhibits my ability to play the game. Whereas the way this is laid out, it actually makes it much easier to play the game, which is what a player aid should 
do, I think. And I think it went relatively smoothly. It went slowly, uh, but overall, I think the theme came through and the why of what I was trying to do and how I was going about doing it all made sense, which also helps being able to both immerse yourself in the game as well as uh, just make sense of, of why you're doing the things you're trying to do. I think there's a lot to be said about the 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 heavy kind of procedural uh element of solo war games like that. I found that with uh Peloponnesian War, which is which again is like a, what initially looks like a really kind of oppressive looking set of oh, there are 16 phases to this uh, to, to your go, and each phase is has subsection this and the subsection that. But once you've been through it a few times. Essentially, you're you're just you're just running the game, and because it's only because mm -hmm. it's only you playing, then you know the procedural part of it doesn't it, it doesn't weigh down a table of players. It it directs you through the game that you're playing uh, in the most efficient way possible. So I know I certainly appreciated uh, the way that that worked in Peloponnesian War. So um, totally understand how that would uh, how how that would be of benefit. Oh, it, and it very much was, and it made it painless in a sense that what looked daunting wasn't nearly as much so nice. and the other thing that i wanted to highlight about the game uh, other than it just being a really enjoyable uh process and the funny thing is is when i streamed it i actually didn't even stream the entire scenario i basically went through a third of it and was able to show that off pretty well, I thought. And then it it, it left me in kind of a precarious situation. Uh, uh, but that I think did a good job of showing the game. Neither here nor there. The thing that I think is really clever about it is it has a, a chip pull system. Which basically what that means is you have a number of uh, random chits that are in this cup. And you're going to at certain points throughout the game going to have to draw these. And we'll have to face the... Uh, the, the music, if you will, that, hey, maybe sometimes these will be good things, sometimes these will be bad things. But the way that AI runs in this is really clever and really simple. Now, it's not super quick as flip a card, do this thing, boom, done. It's a lot more involved in that. But the way it works is so streamlined in the way it just flows and the way it randomizes the way it reacts to things to the things you're doing is so clever so throughout the whenever you attack other tribes and and do things like that you're going to have to pull chits and when you pull chits you're either going to have a successful raid or maybe it can be successful but the enemy or the ai enemy same same you're going to be giving them potentially action points that they're going to be able to use on their turn and there are four different directions from which enemies may come, northeast, southwest, using the cardinal uh, spots on a map. And each of these has a particular set of chits on the board that are set up uh, A, B, C, D, E, F. And there is a G, but A through F, <laughs> so there's one through six. And when the AIs turn, basically, you're going to roll a die, and you're based on the time period that you're that's taking place in Comancheria because it's broken up into four historical ages from 1700 up to 1875, I think. Uh, 
based on the historical time period that you're in, you're going to roll a die and it's going to activate one of the four bad guys that are in there, Northeast, Southwest, whatever. Okay. Once that's activated, then you're going to have to roll a die again. And what it's going to do is each of these instructions. So each of these six chits that each of these uh, bad guys, the enemy have is they have uh, a front side and a backside. Front side could be that it's going to be a, uh, an ally action or on the flip side of it, it might be a war action or it might be whatever. One of the number of options that the AI could take. Well, it starts on the face up side, but every time you activate a certain end or one of the enemies, you're also going to roll a die. And the outcome of that die roll is going to be to flip one of those uh, chips. Nice. And then, then that's not the one you're activating. The one you're activating is the one that's at the top of the row for that enemy. So if you activated the north one and then you flip the, you rolled a four, so you flip the fourth chit down or the one that's in the fourth column, then based on the number of action points that the AI has, you're now going to carry out the very top instruction for that enemy. So it could be it's an ally action or it's a hunt action or it's whatever it is. The AI is going to spend those action points that you have given it through drawing poorly. And then it will carry <laughs> out that action. And then if there are certain cards in play, it may change that uh, action A to action B. So instead of an ally, it might be a, uh, a hunt action or whatever it may be. You carry that action out. You go through the play rate. It tells you exactly what to do. Okay, done. Then if there's any action points left, then it carries out the second instruction, working its way down all through the top from the first one all the way down to the sixth one, potentially. But after you're done activating each one, you move it over to the right into an inactive column. When you're done, either you run the enemy runs out of action points for it to carry out these instructions or you run out of instructions for the enemy to do because everything is either already out on the board or it's in the inactive display, the enemy then banks any leftover action points so that when it activates again, it's now going to have more action points to use against you. And those action points are not uh, divided into, oh, that was the north enemy, so the north enemy is going to bank two. No, the enemy is going to bank two. And any enemy that then activates next time gets access to those banked action points. So not only that, but then the where I think the real cleverness of this happens is when you're done, let's say it runs out of action points and you only did the first or the top two instructions. All of the remaining that weren't activated slide up to the top of the column. So that now, whenever the AI runs for the north enemy, it's going to start on the one that you left off on, right? But the ones that you did activate, those now come to the bottom of that column. But they do so in the reverse order in which you carried them out. Oh. So the first one that you carried out is actually going to be the last one that goes into the column, right? And so it, it, it basically is randomizing based on what actions it's actually doing, it's randomizing this for future turns for that specific enemy. Not only that, but every time whenever you activate an enemy on, an, uh, on the enemy AI you know, actions, you're going to always 
flip, or maybe not always, but most of the time, you're going to flip one of those chits. So it may be one that you've already flipped to the other side, and maybe you carried out that action. Maybe you haven't. And so it flips back to the front side. Or maybe it's one that, oh, hey, I see that the first instruction is going to be a hunt, and a hunt isn't going to hurt me. But then I rolled a one when that enemy got activated. So it flips that over. So it goes from hunt to a war at instruction. Well, that changes everything. So you can't always bank on knowing what the enemy is going to do. I mean, that's yeah, that, that's kind of what I was going to ask is, is with, uh, especially with a lot of war games, obviously there's, there's a random element. There are some dice in there. There has to be, right? Right. And so you've got, you know, you've, you've got a random dice roll. Um, and you have some other randomization that you were talking about, but how much of the bot's activity or actions can you see ahead of time to try and mitigate or plan against? Because that to me is the meat of a proper interesting bot compared to say, just as as a quick example, when you have coin flow charts, for example, daunting though they might be, you, you know, what's, you know, if, if certain things happen on a map, you're kind of familiar with the direction that the bot is going to take as a result of that because you've done it once or twice already. And so you kind of go, well, if I do that, I know they're going to do that. So I need to, I need to carefully consider my actions. And there's less of a random element with that. How does that work with Comateria? There, There is some of that, right? But the fact that whenever you act, you do, first off, you have potentially up to four different enemies coming in from the four different directions, right? Oh, okay. In the scenario that I played, there were really only three. There's nothing out east. So there's only the, the north, the south, and the west enemies that may come into play. So you know that you don't know which one is going to activate on a given turn. So you have, but you do see the instructions and the order of the instructions in which those will be carried out. However, you're going to flip one of them, theoretically. You don't know which one, so it's not going to be a perfect info. And That's fine. based on your actions, you're going to draw action points, potentially, for them. So you don't know how many action points the enemy is going to get. So it's not going to be a perfect information, but you can be like, well, I know if I go and do another raid, I'm going to have to do a chip pull. And because I have a two-strength band that's going on the raid, I know I'm going to draw two chits. I know the distribution of the chits that are in the cup, and I know there are some that are two action points, three action points, four action points for the enemy, and some are successes. And then there is the situation where some of those instructions, some of those things that the AI is supposed to do, eventually make it into the cup, so there's a chance you could just pull that out. And that's going to happen, but you know it's in there. Nice. So the when? Eh. So there, I feel like there's enough to make good educated guesses on what it is that you feel like you should be focusing on, but you're not completely in control of things. And I think the game is better because of that. Sure. And it is. It's funny, the more I actually sit here and talk about it, the more excited I am to play it again, and the Excellent. more I want to play it again, Excellent. which yeah. which I would say is a is a sign of a good game. Absolutely. And it was, it's compelling. It really is. I think the system is just really, really good. And there's just, like I said, there are a couple little things here or there that I 
that I didn't do perfectly right. But I would argue in the course of a of a solo game, the fact that when uh there there's a a it, it's one of the major things that only happens a few times throughout the course of a game, and it's called the passage of time. It is a 16-step series of actions that have, or it's a it's a 16-step procedure that this is how you're going to uh, get more bands, more more warriors out there. You're going to establish more rancherias, which are kind of bases for operations. And it's also uh, where you're going to be able to spend resources that you've acquired to either upgrade your current units or or create new ones. One of the things that I did wrong is instead, uh, like I had two resource points, I split them between building new bands and upgrading them. I was only supposed to be able to, I, you can't carry it forward. So like a small minor in the scheme of things, I don't think it was a really big mistake. One of the big mistakes that I did make though was during setup, I shorted myself a band. I was supposed to have three, two level two units. I only gave myself two. But outside of that, like, that's pretty much really the only mistakes that I think I made. And considering this is a, you know, four-hour evolution that I went through, that's, that feels good that even though I wasn't super well-versed, I'd gone through the playbook twice and gone through Joel's videos once. Uh, I had a pretty good feel for things, but overall... It flowed really well, even though I was stepping through slowly for the stream and everything. I'm just, I'm super excited to play it again. So, Comancheria, um, if you're into the American West or Native American uh, history, or you just want a compelling and interesting and intricate, but not in a bad way, solo game. Yeah. I And if you want an epic gaming experience, Eventually, you could play to where you're playing across all four eras. Whoa. You're Whoa. talking, and I'm curious, and I, I don't know the answer to this. I'm looking this up as we do this. I'm curious to see what the playtime is supposed to be, if, like, potentially, if you were to play across all four eras. Um, it says 60 to 360 minutes, so six hours for the whole thing. I I I would argue that would be a multi-day. I thought you were going to say day, hours. Potentially, <laughs> I thought it was sixty to three hundred and sixty hours. No, <laughs> no. I, I I mean, I think I think if you're after you've gone through the process that I went through, and you're not stepping it through for a stream, I would argue that the first scenario could be a two-three hour evolution for you know the quote-unquote normal person that isn't streaming it. But I would argue that if you're playing the whole kit and caboodle, it could be, you know, as long as you want it to be. Um, but it's a solo game, so you can you can step away from it. You can be like, mm, what do I do with this decision? Come back to it tomorrow. Yeah. That type thing, point. right? So it's it, it's it's interesting to hear you say you kind of like wax lyrical about how good the solo game is and you can't wait to play it again. Because I'm kind of curious, as someone who to 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 make a massive understatement, has played a few solo games over the last 12 months. Are there many that you would be that kind of that positive about that you that you could you could actually honestly say, oh I could I'd die for a game of that. I'd love to have another solo game of that. I'd love to play that. Because 
I it feels to me there probably aren't as many as you maybe hope there would be. Oh, there I'm surprised at how many there have been. Oh, really? That's good. That's good. What I mean, what others then? Oh, 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 boy. Uh, all right. So here, let let, let me just uh, let me think of some off the top of my head that I was like, wow, I enjoyed that far more than I thought I would have. No, that's that good. type thing. Um, so I am literally going through my timeline backwards. I was not prepared for this. So, um, so I recently played Fields of Arla. I enjoyed that, but Feast for uh, Feast for Odin from Uwe Rosenberg. I really enjoyed that playing that solo and i really didn't think i was going to because uh much like what you alluded to previously how you really don't want to do a lot of multiplayer solitaire gaming with other folks right now i felt like a feast for odin is the epitome of that it is very much and so i even though you play it multiplayer it's basically multi be multiple people playing a solitaire game sitting around the same table I digress. Solo, I loved that game far more than I really, really thought I would. One of the biggest surprises for me, uh, uh, solo game that I was blown away at how much I enjoyed. It's a game by Tony Boydell, and it's a, this is what I would call probably a, a thinky filler type. It's called Lux Airturna, and. I don't like real-time games. I don't like having a timer. I don't like those things 99 out of 100 times. Apparently, I found the one. I found the one that I really, really... This game requires you to have that. You don't have to. But I think a lot of the enjoyment from Lux Turna is going to be the stress of making life-or-death decisions within the construct of the game. Sure. Uh in a short, quick time frame that helps make that game feel special. That was probably one of the five best solo experiences I've had over the course of the last year. And I was shocked at that. So yeah, Lux Airturna. Um, and apparently, uh, Tony Boydell and Frosted Games, and I'm not sure who else here uh, in the U.S., they're coming out with a new game from Tony. That is supposed to be even better. So, yay. That's awesome. Another game that I enjoyed, I loved, thoroughly enjoyed, was Nemo's War. Yeah, of course. From Victory Point Games. I thought that was fantastic. And that, that's a bigger game as well. Uh, Probably, it's somewhere in between Luxair Turna and Comancheria as far as, like, game length wise. That covers game, most of board gaming, though, right? <laughs> yeah, f- fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, another um, quirky little weird Japanese one that I liked uh, a lot is called Fish Farewell Forever. And very okay. small footprint, very simple game, very uh, ethereal type theme to it. And to where you're trying to get rid of hunger, all your worldly desires and trying to kind of become much more Zen. Uh, it, it was just it, it, thematically or, or, or setting wise, I thought it was clever and the mechanisms in it were frustratingly simple and frustratingly difficult. So there was that. So Fish Farewell Forever was good. Uh, Archipelago. Here's one that I want to like more than I do. Mm. So I've heard that Archipelago's solo game, 
is a good experience to get you ready for the multiplayer game. I've never played it multiplayer. Okay. The, the problem I have with Archipelago is the goals in this game. To be able to reach the gold level, which is like the, the you did the best that you could do in this scenario, are universally thought of as impossible or near impossible to even attain. So why do that? Don't, don't do that to people. That just is going to piss people off. Fair point. And the, the silver level is what should have been the, what feels like the gold level. And even that feels brutal, hard, just, just passing, just surviving, just winning, being successful to me feels like the gold level. Uh, just because there are situations that can come up because there's a fair bit of randomness as far as, uh, when events happen and things that you can't, you literally, it's a flip of a card. You don't know what you're going to need to prepare for. So you try and prepare for generalities. And there are just some situations to where literally that you had no choice. You were just going to lose. That doesn't feel good. Mm. And if there was a way, and I talked about this the second time that I'd streamed this, if there was a way to seed the deck to where, look, these super bad things, there aren't a lot of them, but it's possible that they just come up early and you're just foobard. There's just nothing you can do. If those situations, if those can be meted out in, in like a stack deck way to where like, I don't know, I'm just pulling out n numbers at random out of the first eight possible cards, maybe only one of those can be really terrible. And then the rest are all shuffled in from the, the, the later part of the game. That might feel a little bit better and, and feel a little bit more attainable. So I think the game itself is really clever and I really enjoyed it. I just really dislike that aspect that's a of archipelago. That's a level of um, it's a level of kind of event mitigation that comes from the head of a kind of heavier gamer, right? Because that is there's a certain kind of gamer that likes that kind of uh, well, we'll draw a card off the top of the deck. Oh, it's an event that does this to me and does this to you and doesn't do this to you. And oh well, nobody could see that coming because that's the way the event deck works. But I think in that kind of urge to kind of reduce randomization that we all have as kind of slightly heavier gamers, we want to kind of, we want to, in a similar way to, for example, with the PAX games where you know there's a comet coming or whatever in the PAX Ren deck, or you know that there's whatever the kind of tipping points are in, um, in PAX Transhumanity, you know they're in the deck in the next 10 cards. You don't quite know if they're going to come next. You know they're coming and so you play accordingly, but it's not completely and utterly random. I think that says a lot about kind of us as kind of gamers, because that's what we want out of a game. We want to be able to plan. We want to be able to mitigate. We want to be able to kind of get our thinky head on and kind of go and, and push our luck just a little bit, but within, within boundaries that we know are kind of there, as opposed to top card of the deck could just kill me. Oh, well, no, never mind. Well, we'll just have another game. That speaks to kind of how... Yeah, you know, I there, there needs to. I, I need to know that I have a chance. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not uh, this, so. Yeah, there's no point in setting this stuff up because the next to get the next card off the top of the deck could just wipe out all the work I've done. So why did I bother? Right. Um. And a couple others that I'll, I'll mention that I really enjoyed. Solo Clinic from Albin Viard. Really, really enjoyed that. Oh yeah. Um. Just. Yeah. And to want and sue you. I really enjoyed Solo. On the flip side of it, 
Um, so before I go to the flip side, Mage Knight, I had played a number of times. And I completely understand why people rave about how that is, if not the pinnacle, really high up there for a solo game experience. That it is, it is marvelous in all the ways that you want a solo game to be. So why am I not raving about it? I would love Mage Knight if it's a game that I can leave set up on my table over the course of multiple sessions and I can work my way through it because I think it's a lot of times it's too long to play an entire scenario in one sitting and it overstays its welcome for me. I'm kind of quite pleased to hear you say that. I didn't get on with Mage Knight at all. Um, that went in and out of our collection relatively quickly. Uh, and again, this was only two player, uh, and it was a few years ago. But um, again, I understand, you know, you can appreciate that something is good without necessarily, you know, having an opinion that you like it, you know. And uh, no, we didn't get on with it. I have a friend who has who bought a copy of Mage Knight because they knew they were going to be locked down and they, they in a similar, exactly what you're saying, they heard this is the pinnacle of solo gaming. Let's get a copy of Mage Knight. Let's drill into that. And they're, they're kind of okay with it. They're not overly fussed with how the difficulty's tailored in it because it can be, parts of it can be a bit easy and the, if you ramp up the difficulty, all you're doing is just increasing the numbers a little bit. Um, but yeah, people rave about it. So, you know, each to their own, right? And I, I think it is a marvel of design. I just, it, it's too long for a single setting for me, but leaving it out over multiple sessions and being able to come back to it. Oh, I think that would be wonderful in that case. So keep that again. That I mean, I might be in the minority here because again, I mean, Mage Knight is, is very highly regarded. Um, Obsession. Also, what you and I are going to be talking about next week and reviewing cool. next week. I think that's wonderful uh, for a solo uh, experience. I was shocked at how much I enjoyed that. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, and another one that I will say that I am really, really keen on is The Gallerist by Vital Lacerda. I thought the way the AI is run in that was... Just stellar. It was very low overhead. It flowed super, super easy. And just thought that was that was done really, really well. Um, so I was I was very pleased with uh awesome. with the gallerist. On the flip side of it, uh ones that uh, the the main one that really comes to mind for me that I have I really will probably never ever, if I can help it, play again. Um, whereas I like the multiplayer of On Mars. I knew that was coming. The, the solo of On Mars was easily my most disliked solo experience that I've ever played. Um, it was clunky. It was unintuitive. It had way too much going on. And I, it, it got to the point to where it felt like I was spending way too long on the AI turns and less turn on my own you know thinking yeah. through what it is i'm trying to do and i know that there are 
there are either websites or apps out there that you can use that can help offset how the AI runs. I don't want to do that if I don't. Why like, should you have to? Right. So as much as I enjoyed the gallerist solo, I dislike on Mars that much. And really, as far as I'm concerned, we'll, we'll do my best to, to avoid doing that going forward. Hmm. Solo. The only, I think the only, the only Lacerda that I've played solo in recent, I was going to say in recent times at all, is as a very guilty pleasure, I upgraded my copy of Kanban um, a few months ago to the shiny new EGG version, um, which I swore I wasn't going to do, but, you know, I did. And I played that solo and I enjoy, I enjoyed the solo of Kanban, but I think that stems from enjoying Kanban so much in the first place. It's, and and it's, I enjoyed Kanban as well, not yeah. not to the level that I did the gallerist, but yeah, no, sure. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I I I am in agreement there. It it's not as the AI is not as easy, sure. easy smooth. I, I'm not. I guess yeah. Elegant, yeah. It, it it just it's not as is is easily run i guess um as the gallerist the gallerist is kind of the pinnacle of that when it comes to uh vital lacerda ais of the ones that i've played so far um so i could see that that makes that makes a lot of sense uh oh and there is one other solo game that i that is not predominantly thought of as a solo game that i can't say enough good things about and I completely overlooked it because it's been a minute. And that's 1862. If, mm. if you were at all interested in an 18xx game and you also enjoy solo, just flat out, I'm going to say this, go get it. And I don't say that too often because, you know, to each their own. 1862 and what Mike Hutton has done with that and made it. A mix of Euro meets 18xx. I mean, it's a legitimate 18xx game. 1862 is extraordinarily well thought of, thought thought of as a multiplayer game. But for a solo experience, I was blown away at how good my it was. My blown head away. hurts think, thinking about how you do 18xx solo. Well, it the way it it does things. In a way that it it's nothing at all like how 1862 plays as a multiplayer game. That it is sense. very different. But basically, and I don't want to go into all the details of it, and plus it's it's been a minute since I played it, but basically you take all of the shares, uh not the not the director shares or the president shares, and you shuffle them up and you make columns of them. And then you're basically doing a little bit of set collection as well as discarding some of them and manipulating where things are in certain rows. And those are completely random. And that's going to help nice. drive what is available, what is available for you to buy, what the AI is going to do. And it is, it is just masterful. It is an amazing experience that I never would have thought could have been done within 18xx wow. and at no point when i was done with that 
I don't feel like I played 1862 or I played a, a, an 18xx solo. I feel like I played an 18xx, even though it is unlike anything that you will experience multiplayer for an 18xx. It still scratched that same itch for me and was a masterful experience. One of the very best solo games I've ever played. Fantastic. And it sounds like it also leaves like the multiplayer 1862 as its own thing that you can still enjoy with other people in a very separate kind of way. As oh, well. completely different. Uh, yeah, completely different. So because you can because you can solo a game, you know, to death to the extent that you might never want to necessarily play a lot of that with other people. Um, it's funny you should say that about um, A Feast for Odin, about how good a solo game that is. Um, when when I first played Feast for Odin, I think we played it we played it once multiplayer, and I never played it multiplayer again. I only ever played it solo and played it about eight or nine eight or nine times solo, and it's a fantastic solo game. I agree. But every single time I finished a game, the last thing I wanted to do was play this with someone else because this is like if you you play four player uh, Feast for Odin and it's four people playing solo Feast for Odin around the table, and uh, I don't need that in my life. <laughs> right? It it really yeah I. Yeah, not a, not great. a fan it's of multi. I, I, you know what? I'll just, yes, you're right. I agree wholeheartedly. And I keep going back further in my timeline here. Tales from Northlands, Saga Zanag and the Nog. Fantastic. Multiplayer and solo. And I, yeah. I was shocked at how much I enjoyed. In fact, Ricky Royal was the designer slash developer of the solo game for Tales of Northlands. And did an amazing job of taking all the existing components, don't add anything new, and making a solo AI out of it that was difficult and compelling and interesting and a lot of fun to play. So that's nice. another one. And Space Corp, uh, I enjoyed as well, uh, solo. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Basically, what I'm telling you is there have been a lot of a lot more pluses than there have been minuses when it comes to solo gaming. Um, there are, you. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there, there are, there are some that are, uh, I'm trying to think of, um, to where you're fighting back a horde basically, which is the field commander series, uh, like field commander, uh, Rommel field commander, Napoleon. I wasn't terribly keen on those, but that's, that's more says more about me than it does the actual games themselves because fighting back a relentless enemy that will never stop to a point gets a little old to me and isn't really my cup of tea, but I don't think they were bad per se. So. Some of those, some of those AI bots or some of those solo games are there to kind of, and especially if they're solo versions of multiplayer games, they're there to help you scratch that itch of playing that game, right? It's, yeah. Oh, I haven't got people around me to play this game. Well, there's a solo mode. I can play this. It will scratch the itch of me wanting to play Gaia Project, for example. Um, and it gives me a wall to bash my head against for a couple of hours. And, and that's it. Uh, and do you come away from it going, well, at least I got a game in. I didn't have anyone here, but I got to play. But it wasn't. It's nowhere near as the same kind of engrossing kind of challenge that you expect. Guy Project is quite a bad example because the bot on that is actually quite good. A <laughs> okay, so bad example, but yeah, I understand your example. point, right? Very bad example. But there are some solos that simply put, simply block out spaces, for example, in a in a worker placement, or 
won't simply just get in your way in particular places and you have to work around them and that's that's as far as the design of the solo bot has gone um but there's a lot to be said as you know as you've experienced over the last year for there being a lot of thought being put into how you play against a piece of cardboard essentially it's, it's really <laughs> amazing and 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 there are there are clearly designers out there that have a knack for this right um the 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 one that comes that jumps to mind off the top of my head is david turtsy right yeah, because he's, he's done yep. um a, he and ricky royal in a lot of ways have done an uh amazing jobs i mean joel toppin he designs games that are solo so obviously the way they're doing that and i mean i'm 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 going to probably stop there so i don't put my foot in my mouth there are uh, i'm sure countless others that are out there um that do this but yeah it's amazing how you can take a system and create this ai out of it that makes it compelling and doesn't feel like a lesser experience which is what people want whenever they're playing the solo game they don't want it to feel like kind of like what archipelago what people say about that like yeah if you desperately want to play archipelago and you don't have people around you could try the solo but it doesn't feel as fully fleshed out and it doesn't feel as developed as say the 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 multiplayer experience would be so sure so what else you got that 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 was a whole lot of me talking about a whole lot of solo games that's all right i mean you know you're talking about solo games and and how obviously the dynamic is very different when you're playing against an ai with a deck of cards or or a flowchart or whatever um one of the things that I, i i played a I put a chunk of solo games at the beginning of lockdown in that I kind of looked at my collection and went, right, I'm not going to be playing these with any, anyone soon. Let's see what solo modes I have. Let's essentially play as many of the games I've got and dig out the solo modes for them. So I think I might have gone through most of them. <laughs> you know, hence playing a good few games of Gaia Project. I quite enjoyed playing that solo. Um, I didn't enjoy Teotihuacan's solo mode. Um, but that probably says more about my thoughts of the game itself after a few plays. So, um, so I, I certainly went through a lot of solo games. Um, and then I, you know, then you're coming to kind of games that you're, you know, should be played with four or five players, but you're restricted to two players. So how good are these games at lower player counts? And we become very, very, um, like expert at deciding you know what, what's a good two-player game <laughs> right. and what isn't right yeah. um and hence you know hence the kind of waxing lyrical about the pax games because in the majority they're excellent two-player games um and they become really good kind of head-to-head battles um with an exception that i'd like to um i'd like to talk about just now having just got hold of uh pax viking which great game very much enjoyed the plays that we had of it but I'm not playing it anymore until I can get some more people around the table. Um, because at two, it really misses. Well, you know what it's missing when you play two, because it, it you know, it's coming up on the cards that you should be trading with people here and you should be trading with people there, and there should be some negotiation around the table. And it feels to me, I really like. I'm really looking forward to playing Pax Viking with say four, even five. I don't know if I'd go so far as to go with six, but. Our government won't allow that anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but even with four, I'm looking forward to that game kind of being being kind of 
broken open into kind of a different game where there's some player-to-player interaction around the table because of the trading element with it. Because at two, it doesn't. It, it, you simply don't have that. And uh, we enjoyed it at two. It's a, it's 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 definitely a more kind of approachable, uh, a more approachable PAX game. And having done the heavier PAX games, half of the rules overhead is just gone because you immediately you're like markets. Yep, I know how the markets work. Yep, uh, I know how many actions I've got. I know how to buy a card. I know how to put it on my tableau. Blah blah blah. Um, so it took 10, 15 minutes to figure out the rest of it. But I was really missing being able to trade with people and being able to rub people up the wrong way and 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 have a, you know, have that element into a system of games that I've really enjoyed over the last year. Like the idea of playing pack, uh, a packs game that has player to player negotiation and you do this and I won't do that and and, and that kind of really looking forward to it. But probably won't play it too again, just because it's fine. But there are better games at two. Yeah, and 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 that's that's one of the biggest things that I constantly am amazed and constantly am riveted by the discussions that I see online about oh, can this game play X amount of players? Whether that's can this player this game play solo? Can this play game play two players? Can this play game play six players? What in either direction? I I don't necessarily agree that every game should be able to cover a wide range of player counts because a lot of times I want to experience a game at its best player count and that's not always going to be the case at either extreme, right? And so I I I I see the merits on the discussions, I hear all of that, but unless you were having an extraordinarily minimalist um, collection, I don't know that I necessarily want every game to be able to play X amount. Like, like you said, I would argue, I, 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 I would probably agree with you that Pax Viking isn't at its best. It's fine at two, but it's probably not at best at two. And we're also we're, I've also kind of come to the conclusion that it's fine for a game to, um, not be at its best at a particular player count, and sometimes just become a different game at that player count. Like two-player Pax Viking is a different game uh, than I imagine four or five player because it has that element missing, um, that uh, like negotiation and kind of trading element. Then other things kind of rise up to can become more important. So it becomes a different game. And that's fine. If anything, you're getting more game out of that box, you could argue. Um, my own personal situation, my own personal preference is that I've played it too. I've enjoyed the game that it has. But in that rulebook, it's telling me there's another game if you play it at four and five. And so I'm itching to play that version of the game, having played it a two player and enjoyed, in, enjoyed it to, to an extent. And that's, I, I, I think that's okay. Right. Yeah. It absolutely. Is I'm. I'm. I'm not sorry that I have a copy. I'm happy. You know, happy that we that we got through our games uh, as it is, and then we kind of went, okay, let's you know, let's bring another couple of people in and let's see how this how, how this goes. We might hate it. Who knows? Some people. Some people don't like negotiation in games. Some people don't play games for the, to enjoy that element of it. Um, as it is, what I want right now is to absolutely play a game like that, and so. 
that may be one of the kind of one of the first games that I start playing with other people because it's got relatively low overhead for those people that have played previous PAX games. And there's a lot of player to player interaction and there's, you know, there's dudes on a map and um, you have a little tableau, but it's not a horribly engrossing tableau that your head's going to be down in for 15 minutes, you know, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of quite looking forward to it. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. What else? What else you got? What else you've been playing? Um, the other, th- I'm trying to think that the other, the other games that kind of hooked us for a lot of time during lockdown we played quite a lot of the search for planet x which was a cracking little game it really is um yeah, it's excellent i i again i tend to like board games to be able to get away from devices get away from screens get away from that type stuff but if you're gonna have a game that uses an app boy does this one do it well doesn't it yeah yeah it's amazing i mean the Helen and I are big fans of a game that not everyone's a huge fan of, but we were quite obsessed with Alchemists. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Of course, everyone. You can't really talk about Search for Planet X without eventually bringing up Alchemists, right? Which is the other big logic problem in a box, right? Um, and Alchemists is, Alchemists is, is good. Alchemists is a really, really interesting, really great logic problem laid over a kind of mediocre worker placement game. Right, the worker placement part of it is meh. The rest of it is fantastic, um, and it's almost like the worker placement stuff kind of gets in the way a little bit of you trying to figure out the puzzle, right? And uh, there's hedging, and there's you know you have to start kind of you have to start making your guesses as soon as you can with uh, with that game. Central Planet X is just so honed down to what it needs to do perfectly. Um, it's figure that figure that shit out, go, <laughs> and. <laughs> And and th- and that's not to take anything away from the fact that there is this kind of spatial, there is this kind of positional puzzle going on around the board as well as you're, you know, trying to make sure that you're getting a turn before the next player and how many how many spaces that you're moving round, uh, round the sky and the fact that you can only look at the sky when you're in that half of the sky and and all of those kind of other little excellent excellent bits. But you gotta love a logic problem for for just watching someone else on the table. Watching them just collapse when the when they realize that everything they thought was true was false. It's been a lie. No, <laughs> uh, that that hits a little close to home. But yeah, that uh, uh, it's happened I, to us all. It's yeah. Uh, on that note, um, I I did my first Sudoku uh, ever Ooh. like two weeks ago, and I was like, wow, I thought I would hate these. No, I love these. So I, I'm a big fan of logic <laughs> puzzles, and I'm not really good at them necessarily. But the way it's it's the way it just works in this game is so good. Yeah, it was such a wonderful little surprise that I just did not expect to enjoy Search for Planet X nearly as much as I did. And yep, I I think you're spot on on that one. I think it 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 suit it suits two as well as it suits three or four and there's more of a kind of positional game going on with three and four but um it scales difficulty really well you know i can imagine you can play it with younger kids as well if you're playing on the kind of easier side and um so so yeah and it's such a kind of such a small perfectly formed little box it's not expensive everyone like we got to play it with a couple of other people in the middle of our kind of two lockdowns in the middle of last year 
and everyone was immediately after the first game and after they realized that everything that they thought was right was entirely wrong they were Im- immediately wanted to get back on the horse right they're immediately kind of like let's go again i'll find that bloody planet you know <laughs> um, yeah absolutely they, they, they absolutely loved it um so the, yeah on the lighter side played a played a fair bit of that got the reprint of ginkopolis which uh, or Ginkgopolis. I need to pronounce that right. I, I, I butcher it too. It, uh, gink. Ginkgopolis. Yeah. <laughs> Finally got uh, the, the reprint hit, hit our shores kind of, uh, I think, around about Christmas, maybe the beginning of the year. Um, lovely two player. Really nice two player game. And a game with deceptive depth, right? Oh boy, does it. And <laughs> I will say this that I have never played it with anything other than three players because I have been ah. told. I have been told that by, I have it on good authority. By an or, expert. By, by an expert, AKA Jess, who this is her favorite game. The sweet spot, the pure best player count for Gink is three player. Interesting. And okay. so hearing that it plays really well at two makes me just mm-hmm. want to sit down and get my head bashed in by Jess. A bit. It may well be that, that from the viewpoint of an expert, Two's a terrible way to play because you know you can't get all your all with your intricate strategies that you're used to playing at three in, you know. But for novices like myself, um, we we got through six or seven games of that over a period of, period of a couple of days and we're quite hooked on it. Um, it's beautiful, little production and and everything looks like it's it's a game that that it's 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 kind of graphic design belies how deep it is because it's so pretty and flowery and green and and. Oh, look at these lovely tiles and stuff, and then, then you score yourself at the end and go, "What? I, I scored that amount of points? Oh, okay, okay, go again. Um, great, great, love a lot of mechanics. First, I first played Ginkopolis at HeavyCon actually. Someone taught me it. Ginkopolis, uh, the whenever the last HeavyCon was, nineteen seventy four or something. I think like so. That. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was good to finally get a copy of that. Um, and I'm trying to think that like the other the other thing that we've played and is a fantastic little two player is the King is Dead. I have not played this in years, and yeah, so it's a reprint, right? It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's uh, same designer. I I can't think. Is uh, Maria? I think right. Pierre Sylvester. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so yeah, I guess so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got this on good authority that it was going to be. Um, it's exactly the kind of two-player that, that 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 you want, and it is no, it's it's a uh, you can play it up to four actually. Uh, but I heard that two and four are the kind of sweet spots for it. Three, there's a bit of king making involved. Um, uh, what a what a fantastic design! Just a just a rock solid little design. I know that um, Cole Worley said that he was playing a lot of that when he designed uh, Pax Premier. Um, and you can kind of see the little seeds of a lot of that stuff in King's Dead. It's such a such a simple, simple game. You teach it in five minutes, and in the middle of the game, you're doing the classic heavy cardboard kind of head, you know, hand on forehead, kind of. Oh my god, what do I do next? You 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 only have eight actions for the entire game, and you have eight rounds, and you can play an action in your round, or you can pass. And that's it. Or you can you can play all eight of your actions in round one, or you could play none of your actions for rounds one to seven and play them all in round eight. You shouldn't, but you could. Um, and it's a territorial kind of uh, cubes on a map: England, Scotland, Wales, 
um oh it's it's, it's grand it's a it's chessy and um there's, there's enough back and forth and uh, it's a beautifully beautifully designed uh well made and and fantastic at two absolutely great and i misspoke it's not maria it's virsin dasvok that's the game yes, i was thinking yes, of right. not it, not maria but yeah uh he, same he, designer he's, right yep he's no stranger to a good two player game that man also lost the expedition actually uh also pierce Sylvester yeah. designed so I have not, yeah, like I said, I haven't played this in what feels like forever, but I don't even think I have a copy of it, but I, I really want to, I want to get this played, uh, and, and have just, uh, just, you know, destroy, destroy me. You. Yeah. So yeah. that'd be good. That's a little, that's a little lunchtime stream you could do. Definitely. Cause you, 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 you know, it's, it's a game that you play best of three. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, yeah. Right. You know, cause once you've, you know, and, and. Your first game will be the longest, and then your second games will take you fifteen minutes each. It's it's just it's just tremendous. I can't say uh, I can't say more great things about it. Um, and again, like great two player, uh, wouldn't ever need to want want to play it at four. I think you play it in teams if you play it with four. I think so. That um, sounds right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, fantastic. Very much enjoyed it. And there are loads. There, there. You know, there, there are others. Those are the kind of high points I think over over the last little while. Okay. All right. Um, a couple others I, I feel like I probably ought to mention. Hmm. Uh, recently played uh, The Vote, Suffrage and Suppression in America with Jess. And hmm. that is the, just such a really good game, but it also somewhat opaque as far as the decisions and priorities, because obviously uh, one player, I shouldn't say obviously, because uh, one player is playing as equality trying to get the 17th and 19th amendments passed. And another player is, is playing, uh, basically, uh, supremacy, which is, um, not wanting those passed. And there is a, a, a third non-player, um, kind of, it's not an AI by any stretch of the imagination. It's just a, another aspect. And that's called apathy, which they, that's the majority, which they don't really care one way or the other. And so now it's a tug of war between the two players playing supremacy and playing equality to try and get the, uh, the silent majority, if you will, to lean in their direction. And it's a very, very clever, very interesting way to do a car driven game. I believe it is based upon the same system or a similar system uh, from the same designer, which is Amabel Holland, uh, as This Guilty Land. Also, very light topic, clearly. <laughs> um, but that is, you know, one side trying to obviously work towards emancipation. One side, I think it would is, is safe to say, is resistant to that. And then you have the the silent majority, which is like, eh, uh, which is horrible on both of these topics. Don't get me wrong. But I found it a very compelling and interesting game that requires you to play it a, a couple of times to really get a feel for what it is you're trying to do. And it's very asymmetric. And so there are certain actions that each side can take that the other side can't take. And there are certain aspects of each side that are completely different for instance it's all about getting control of certain regions voting control of certain uh, of the various regions uh in the in the in the 19th century 
around the U.S. So you have the Midwest, you have the, the Northeast, you have the South, you have the Deep South, etc. And certain uh, things, you're trying to flip control, uh, voting control. When equality flips their chits onto their control, it's there permanently. Whereas uh. equality can flip supremacy's control markers back to apathy and then get them leaning apathy towards their side to eventually flip them to that permanent control. But supremacy doesn't have that because it is a waning thing. And so they can, it could be a tug of war to where uh, supremacy is trying to continually keep flipping theirs to their control side, but then the other player is flipping them back over, whereas supremacy can never do that to the other side. And so... It, it, it's very asymmetric and it, it can be a bit opaque and it will definitely require uh, a couple of plays on each side to really get a, get a feel for what it is you're trying to do. But I found it, I don't want to say it was fun because it's a very heavy theme and I think the, the artwork and the pictures used and the historical aspect and the designer notes and everything about this game makes it heavy mm. from an emotional standpoint as well as a game weight standpoint even though the actual mechanisms aren't hard the theme and the the strategy involved in it make it a heavy game and i think it's something that if you're looking for that in a gaming experience I think this does amazingly well, but I don't know that I could call it fun, right? Much like I don't sure. know that this guilty land and playing on the side against emancipation will ever be considered quote unquote fun. Yeah, that's a tough ask. Right. Yeah, but but for, I also, for, for a lot of people, sure. But I also think that there is, there's merit to it. Right, because it shows the the maturity of where this hobby is that we can have games that make people have these discussions around the table. Now we're 100%. sitting here recording, and I don't know if you saw this, but it it just came across. Um, the Derek Jovin trial is currently going on, and he was just found guilty on all counts. Okay. So considering what it is we're discussing right now and we have what's going on right now in the real world, not everybody is going to want this at their gaming table because you know what, with COVID and everything that we have been dealing with over recent times, it, it, I would argue that a lot of this has been going on forever. I digress. Not everybody's going to want this weight emotional weight and mental weight on their table but if you do it, i think it's is it pretty two player it's two player only i think it can be played solo in a sense that you can play both sides uh because you don't have a, a hand of cards everything is open information uh even though there is some randomness and draws and stuff you don't have a closed hand of cards um so yeah it's two player only but i you can play it solo. Play I think as a two-player, it's, prob it's probably not as tough an ask uh, because if you want to play this with 
uh, with a partner or a friend who have an interest in the topic or are both genuinely interested in, you know, be it the history or just how it's been implemented at all. You're just interested in the simulation and interested in the in, in the mechanics. That's much easier with two players kind of head to head than it is. You know, you're not going to pull out this guilty land for a game night with beer and pretzels, right? Yeah, because, no. yeah ex exactly. You, you know, so I, that lends itself more to a kind of solo game or a, or a, or a two-player game where you have a kind of smaller cohort to kind of have a discussion about it afterwards or even during, you know, to talking about what this game is representing. Um, feels to me that that's, you know, it might not be the greatest couples game in the world, but certainly, you know, a couple of historians or a couple of people with a genuine interest in kind of in, in, uh, in, in what the game's trying to represent. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, a couple others that I wanted to, to touch on briefly. Uh, Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. Enjoyed that more than I thought I would. And it felt like its own game, but it also felt like the its bigger cousin, which is Terraforming Mars. But it seemed very familiar while also being quicker, as well as being its own game. So, yeah. Worthy of, of checking out, uh, but not anything that I want to uh, belabor too much. But enjoyed it. Um, enjoyed it more than I expected to, I think. And the only other uh, like multiplayer that really are Medici, which is fantastic. And that's great for remote playing because no closed information. And Medici is, is one of Reiner Knizia's best. Amazing. And and the other two that we keep going back to for multiplayer streaming remote, Aegis Theme and Power Grid. And wow, have we gotten heavy into Power Grid. There have so been, I see. There have been a <laughs> lot of Power Grid streams, and man, that game is amazing. It really, really is amazing. I am shocked at how much just staying power, Power Grid, continues to have. And this is this is just playing maps, not even getting into uh, the the stock companies aspect of it. That's just playing on multiple maps. Amazing. You were playing so much Power Grid that uh, I realized it was a gap in my collection, and so I picked up a copy of Power Grid. And I do not want to play that with two people. Yeah, not 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 the sweet not the sweet <laughs> spot. I know that there is the robots, which you can. It, which is an expansion for power grids, which you can uh, uh, play it then with two players. But again, you know, Where, where's the fun in that, right? Yeah, power grid isn't isn't the go-to for two players. In my yeah. experience, so, the sweet spot is four players. Yeah, so that's on the list. That's definitely on the list of I can't wait to sit around the table with some people and 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 get into that uh, because yeah, I hear it's good. Everyone's, uh, <laughs> you guys are, uh, you guys are so deep in a power grid. It's crazy. It's, it's really been <laughs> amazing. And Aegis theme is Aegis theme and wonderful and never gets, never heard old, of it. Right. Yeah. So. Do you get anything else, or shall we move on a little bit? Uh, let's move on. I mean, I could 
yeah now let's move on okay um acquisition wise what like anything i mean obviously you've covered some of those already but anything that really really stands out that like yeah can't wait it's all kind of tied into the same thing right it you know there, there's lots of things that i've that there's some things that i've acquired that i've put aside and gone well can't play that yet can't play that yet I probably shouldn't have bought that because I definitely can't play that yet. But <laughs> the beauty of uh, the beauty or horror, depending on which way you look at it, of things like Kickstarter is, oh, hang on, I bought this in the last financial year and it's just come through. Well, okay. And I need to play this with three. My, the, the things I'm really looking forward to playing, I think as I kind of touched on are, you know, I want to play some games with some real interaction. Um, and as such, I've got a copy of The King's Dilemma sitting on the shelf. I am clamoring to play that me game. Too, it's killing me. me. I so want to play that game. But I originally had it set up for, for remote stream. And I was like, no, this has got to wait. So, yes. Yeah. I, no, yes. I'm itching to kind of get a, get a couple of friends. Uh, two or three. I'm not sure if we'll get two, if we'll have four or, or a five player with it. But I am itching to kind of get a campaign of that going. Um, I've heard so many good things about it and it's exactly the game I want to play just now. Do you know, it's, it's, it's a game where, um, I want to play with people. I want to play against people. I want to mess about with people. I want to be messed about with, if you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I'm really Complete, looking forward yeah, to Yeah. Like, come yeah. on, let's, let's, let's yeah. mess with each other. Right. And yeah, yeah what you do impacts me. What I do impacts you. Yeah. Really looking forward to that. Uh, I'm... I'm looking for, there's a, there's another couple of games that are kind of like you, that you don't play these with less than three players because functionally you can't, or you would be an idiot. Um, I've got, got a copy of Imperial finally, which I've never played, but hear incredible things about. And so looking forward to getting that out. You have to play that with a minimum of three anyway, I believe. Have you played Imperial? I have. Good. I've yet to understand... It hasn't clicked with me. Now, I am hedging okay. a little bit in, in the way I'm saying this because uh, Imperial is honestly thought of as one of Matt Gertz's best games. Mm. And it's one of those shared incentive games in that you don't control anything. You just are an investor in the various countries. And it mm. just, I played it years and years and years ago and it didn't grab me. Played it about two years ago, and it didn't grab me. And I'm trying, I want to understand and, and, and really enjoy the game, but I've yet to cross that threshold, and it just hasn't clicked with me. It's a bit of an overused adage sometimes, but it may well be that you need the right group of people to play that game. Possibly. It might, it might just be, I mean, you could, you could say that about any game, right? You could say that even about some terrible board games that, you, you know, I'd rather play a bad board game with good people than, you know, a good board game with bad people, right? Yes. So, uh, so it may well be, it just needs the right kind of, uh, the, the right group. But um, it's been on my list uh, for quite a while of things that uh, are kind of missing from my experience, I guess. So kind of itching to kind of, that's, yeah, as I said, that's a three at the very, uh, uh, that's a three point at the very least. Um, and then there's a couple of things in, in a similar kind of way to like King's Dilemma and, and I've got a War of Whispers as well that I'm quite looking forward to. What is, what is that? That's, that's a new so, one on me. A War of Whispers is billed as the Game of Thrones board game, but in an hour. 
maybe even less, right? It, arguably one of the... The Game of Thrones board game is a kind of unwieldy beast of a game. And while it's not the greatest game in the world, you know, there are there, there there's certainly merits to it. But one of the th- problems with the Game of Thrones board game is you play with a decent group of people. It's going to take you all day. Yes. It's, the, the, the time of that game is, is, is terrible. So War of Whispers is a little bit... It's a little bit Game of Thrones board game. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit Inish. Um, if you're familiar with uh, Matagos Inish. Um, so there's dudes on a map, area control, territory stuff. There's secret information. You play, um, you play, you don't play a like a a house. Um, you know, speaking in Game of Thrones kind of terminology, you don't play so much. Sure, no, I I get it. Yeah. yeah, you play, you play the spies that are playing the houses off against each other. Um, and I got they 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 recently kickstarted a second edition of it because the first edition sold out very very quickly. Uh, and that's sitting on the shelf, itching to be played with four players with lots of sneaky kind of um, secret information and dudes on map kind of stuff. So looking forward to that. Uh, and the other one that I need as many players as I possibly can, and this is one that listeners will more likely be familiar with. Let me guess, maybe Dune? Haha, <laughs> no. Okay. I mean, that, that is, that almost doesn't even need to be talked about because that is always first... If I have the ability to get six people in a room, it's the first thing that's going to come. All right, fair enough. It's the first thing that's going to come. But I don't need to talk about that. That's just a given, right? Um, no, I mentioned to play Zimbi Mojo. Okay, so that is a uh, same designer as uh, Cosmic Frog. Um, Jim, uh, Jim, Jim, what's Fe- his name? Belly, um, I think. Yep, that's the one. Yep, and we played Cosmic Frog recently, uh, which again, find it too. Really looking forward to playing it at four. Um, didn't wow us at two, but there's some really interesting stuff going on there. I mean, if there's one thing that his games are, it's always kind of interesting and appealing to look at, and there's some stuff in there you won't see in other games. But I remember seeing some folk playing Zimbi Mojo at uh, Heavycon a couple of years ago and was intrigued because I think there was six people around the table playing it, and uh, I believe it takes up to eight, and it's a semi-co-op kind of cannibalistic, uh, uh, cannibalistic game. That, uh, so I got all of this quite a while ago, and it's been sitting on the shelf, and it's almost top of the top of the list. Um, how good it is? Don't know. It's there. I'm going to play it. Looking forward to it. Solid. For Thank me, you. for acquisition wise, um, I depends how far back I want to go. But let's go. I ahead. think it's kind of tricky with you. Yeah, it, because, it well, you know. it, it it'll be less so when the now that the podcast's coming out on the regular, but. Um, we'll go with really, maybe not acquired recently, but have, uh, either played it recently or recently acquired. Um, just mentioned three quick ones. Uh, Praga Kaput Regni from, uh, Delicious Games and Rio Grande, which is the latest from same designer as, uh, Underworlds, uh, Underwater Cities, as well as, let's face it, it's Ship, Shipyard. Shipyard, yeah. right? Shipyard. And yeah. I recently played this solo. And as much as I really was underwhelmed by underwater cities and had to look things up too often, it just, just, it really didn't grab me. I actually really enjoyed the solo aspect or the solo game of this and almost didn't at all have to look at the rule book. So that, that, that was good. Enjoyed that. Um, so yeah, that, that's a new one. Uh, Shores of Tripoli. And this is from Fort Circle Games. 
it's a one or two player, but from what I've been told from them, it can play solo, but it's a two player game. And it's, it's, it's the Marine Corps and the U.S. Navy versus the Barbary Pirate. Um, yes. I mean, that's my wheelhouse, right? That's, you're that's in, right? You're right. Yeah. And so Jess and I are actually going to be uh, playing this and streaming this this week. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. The production quality looks beautiful on it. It, it, it has a historical theme that both Jess and I are into, you know, historical themes. And yeah, just looking forward to that one. And one that showed up yesterday, I thought, you know what? That, that seems pretty recent. Uh, it's uh, the, the designer actually was the one that sent it to me. Uh, Nathan Hansen is the designer and it's a game from lock and load publishing. So uh war game, uh, they're based out of Colorado and I can't remember exactly where in Colorado they are. I think they're in Fort Collins, but I don't want to anyway. Uh, the game's called uh, space infantry federation and it comes in a little Ziploc here. Uh, and Nathan wrote this uh, really nice letter um, to me. I, I figure I'd mention it. It says, hello, Edward. First, allow me to thank you for the years of entertainment at this point. I love watching Heavy Cardboard, particularly since it allows me to enjoy games I could not reasonably get to the table due to either expense or complexity relative to my gaming group. And now, of course, with the global pandemic, it's even harder. But especially in the last year, your channel has helped me stay connected to board gaming. So thank you. As you can see, I sent you a game I designed. I hope you enjoy it and can, get, and can get a fraction of the pleasure from it that I've gotten from your channel over the years. Sincerely, Nathan Hansen. Like, wow, right? That's that's lovely, yeah. That, uh, lovely is an excellent way to put that. And <laughs> and it's a, it's a solo-only game. And I went and I did a little bit of homework on this uh, yesterday when it arrived. And it's... Uh, from the comments that I've read, it's kind of a uh, advanced version of the States of Siege series. So for anybody out there that has played States of Siege, and I think those are like the uh, Ottoman Sunset, Habsburg Eclipse games from Victory Point Games are the States of Siege, I think. So I thought, you know what? Why don't I bust this out soon? So probably going to see it on the show in the next couple of weeks. So looking forward nice. to that one. So that's... Uh, I think I can limit the acquisitions there. Um, oh, also, there's one more, actually. It's a prototype. It, uh, we originally, Jess and I did a playthrough of Chai, originally uh, a couple years ago, I believe it is. And we now got Chai, E for two. Oh, very good. Just recently very arrived, good. and we're going to be doing a playthrough of that, I believe, in early May. So you can mm. look forward to that. And let's face it, I mean, Chai and tea. Right in my wheelhouse, so yes, please. Literally, you're in your wheelhouse. Uh, I got to give a shout out to another uh, one that I forgot, which uh, hooked us for a good couple of weeks. Was uh, we got a copy of the new version of Jordan Draper's Import Export? Ooh, yeah. Which, which is a lovely two-player game. Again, sorry to be you know um, saying the same thing over again, but yeah, it's my life at the moment. Um, fantastic two-player game. Uh, have no desire to necessarily break it out much further because it's it's a solid head-to-head -head game, you know, similar mechanics to Carl Tudyk's kind of, you know, Glory to Rome and uh, 
uh, Motnai and the like. So once you've got those mechanics in your head, the rest of it kind of, you know, follows on pretty well. Um, but yeah, real, real good. Beautiful production in a little box. Yeah, little and, and, and oh. I, I was shocked at how much I enjoyed uh, uh, Import-Export, the, the original version. So... Yeah, I would like. I'm looking forward to hearing about the uh, and checking out the expansion and everything that came with it. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole four or five different sets of kind of cards in there for for expanding the game. So it's always it's always good to you know once you've had four or five games of playing it and getting used to these cards, then suddenly these crazy cards come out of nowhere. But yeah, great fun. Last thing, because you kind of talked about games that you're really kind of chomping at the bit or champing at the bit, depending on who you are, uh, that you're looking forward to playing when you're able to actually have uh, more people than just the two of you and not playing remote and face-to-face type stuff. I have a list of like six. It's probably about 600 in all seriousness, but just off the top of my head, and I don't want to go over these too deep here, um, some old some uh new-ish or at least would be new to me because i haven't played them yet and some are legitimate like pretty new still uh we'll go old to, to new the capitals the capitals is a city building game that i played with folks back in denver quite a bit and i really have been wanting to get that to that to the table a lot more uh since well i haven't been able to and i've been wanting to so the capitals from Mercury Games, that one I'm really looking forward to. And another older would be the original edition of Studying Emerald. I've never played it. Uh, I yeah. have, this is old school in a sense, uh, Martin Wallace. And man, I just, I just really want to get that played a lot. So. But yeah, I've never played it. It's that's been on a, on a, on a list for a long time. I have the, especially because oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that especially because of the distinct differences between first and second edition, and as you say, people people that have people still want to play first edition of it. So so yeah, one day. Yep, and I have both editions, but I've heard that from those that tend to like the types of games that I like that the first edition is probably going to scratch an itch better than the second edition. I will tell, but looking forward to that. Another one that is from Essen two years ago or the last Essen that happened. And this is one that got lost in the shuffle a little bit and then COVID happened and that's error of tribes. It is a big Civ building game. Dudes on a map just looks unwieldy and delicious and just have yet to be able to dig into it because this needs people in person to be able to play it so that one i remember the i remember the stall essen for it and i remember uh yeah how how grand it looks yes i think i was i think i was put off by the title slightly because of the uh, the, the so many games that are called period of time of something you know <laughs> time of crisis week of thrones or yeah you know um 
eons of kingdoms or whatever. I don't know if it's another one of these, but it looks it does look fantastic. It looks cool, so we will see. And then the three newer ones, at least will be to me, are Imperial Struggle, Versailles 1919, and I've heard a lot about Merv. And I've yet to get a copy of Merv. So yeah, those that that would be six games on my short list that I want to play as soon as we can have people over. Maybe I've dropped the ball on this slightly then, because those last three I've actually played in the last six months. <laughs> Funny how you find this stuff out at the end of the podcast, right? <laughs> I well, I I want to play all three. I I have yet to yeah. do so. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. I will. T- I will say that uh, Versailles nineteen nineteen is fantastic. You're not helping uh, here, Tony. I know you're not helping. I'm, I know the other two. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah, your mileage will vary, perhaps, but Ver- Versailles on two or three plays. Can't talk about every game, can I? Um, after two or three games, even at two player, and with a there's a kind of third player bot that you kind of play in between. Absolutely fantastic, and uh, I hope you love it. I, yeah, I just yes, wait, can't wait. Looking forward to it. <laughs> So, um, that's, that's about it, except I would be remiss if I have somebody from the UK on and I do not, before letting you go, since the big news dropped yesterday about this whole Super League thing, um, I don't follow soccer slash football, uh, all that closely. I get very confused about how the different leagues interact with one another and how all of that works. However, uh, I have heard that, oh, there's going to be this super league announced yesterday. And now it has been announced that all six UK teams are now backing out of this super league. (laughs) So you tell me, man, what's up? You have, you have picked the wrong podcast guest to talk about football. (laughs) <laughs> I know very little. However, this, and this is with, this is probably the rashest kind of diatribe that you hear, bear in mind that I've just said I know nothing about football. It seems like a terrible idea uh, from, from the beginning, and it seems to kind of go against what all the, the kind of leaks in the UK were kind of set up to, you know, you can, you can be a football team and c- come from nothing and win the Premier League in a few years, right? Right, that yeah. happened a couple of years ago. I forget what team it was, but yeah. Well, in 2016, I believe Leicester yeah, uh, that's it. pretty much came from nowhere, had, had only been promoted the previous season, or I'm sure people will correct me, but um, yeah, and then won the Premier League above all these massive super teams, right? Fantastic, that's exactly what football was supposed to, supposed to be about. Now you're essentially kind of cutting off the best ones and saying they're just going to repeatedly go and play each other. Um, Whee! If it's... But it yeah, does level yeah. the playing field, I will say, right? In a sense that these are all, like, money isn't going to be an issue between all of them because billions of dollars is nothing, apparently, to these guys. Sure, but not if you're a fan of those teams that are breaking off, right? I, 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 I don't think if I was a Chelsea fan or an Arsenal fan or a Man United fan or whatever, I would be particularly delighted in going, essentially taking my rich 
friends away and just repeatedly playing each other for lots of money uh, and not getting to do the things that you do as part of a football fan, which is to, oh, we've got an away game with a small team uh, halfway up the country. Great, we got to go to an away game because, you know, Man you are playing Bristol City or something like that. And so, you know, we get to go to a smaller team or, or, or stuff. Some, the, the, someone was, I saw something on Twitter yesterday where someone was essentially kind of going, look, I know nothing about football. Can you explain this to me? And it was a comedian that was at the, it was a, a, a female comedian who was saying, someone explained to me why everyone is up in arms about this. Right. And, and someone quite nicely came back to them and said, okay, think of it like this. And I'll tailor the reference for, uh, for uh, your US years. Okay. What if eight comedians or ten comedians, big, some of the best comedians in the, in the, in the world, basically went off and said, we're going to play Madison Square Gardens and no one else is allowed to play Madison Square Gardens ever again. And we, we are the only people that are ever going to play there. And we're just going to repeatedly play there over and over again. You want to come and see us? You have to spend $100 a ticket to come and do that. Uh, and that'll be that. It'll be shut off to anyone else. Which I thought was quite a nice analogy. This, this comedian was kind of like, okay, I get that. That sounds horrible. All right. Yeah. Um, hmm. It sounds like it's all falling apart, though, kind of as we speak. Well, literally, as we speak, yeah. <laughs> it seems uh, all it, Man, Man City, Liverpool, Manchester, uh, Man U, Arsenal, Tottenham, to exit Super League, Chelsea to do the same. That's the... That's the yeah, uh, there you go. It's, there you go. it's gone then, right? What gets me is, it, is the government stepping in? Like our government kind of went, that's not happening. I didn't know the government could do. There's lots of things that I want our government to do. I don't want them. Since when could they now, inter, you know, suddenly get in a, get pissy about football? <laughs> kind of go, no, we won't allow that happen. Can concentrate on other things. Exactly. I was yeah. going to say, look, yeah. there are, there are much bigger, much bigger issues here. Um, yeah. But I guess, no. I, yeah, I don't know. So Boris Johnson doesn't want a Super League, so it's not going to happen. But it's not to do with him. Uh, it's a big, it, it, it's a big deal, but hopefully it won't be a big deal because it won't happen. I have never seen a massive announcement like this happen and the amount of pushback and the flipping within 24 hours. It has been shocking to watch this go on, uh, even though I don't really understand the gravity of it being not a part of that world, but it is, it is kind of amazing to watch that go on, right? If, if one way to get across how kind of strangely impactful the whole thing is, uh, is that I know nothing about football. I'm not invested in, in British football. I have no dog in this fight. I have no team. Um, I'm not a massive sports fan. But I understand the implications of it. And I understand why it's bad. And I've already talked myself into being like, yeah, this is a terrible idea. Yeah, down with this sort of thing, right? So... Even those of us that, that literally have no dog in this fight whatsoever are, are kind of going, that's, that's an awful, awful plan. Let's hope that doesn't kind of go ahead. Because I have friends who are massive football fans and uh, how they're, they're distressed at how it would affect them. Even kind of the knockdown effect to kind of smaller teams, you know? I, I yeah, I, I, it's a big deal. I get it. Um, and it's a massive deal. And I don't, uh, I had mentioned this earlier that the, uh, the Derek Chauvin uh, trial uh, uh, outcome was just announced while we were recording here. And I, 
I don't know if relieved is the right word, but it seems like they got this right. Um, and, and it, hopefully it's the beginning of a change of how things have been horribly not good in this country for a very, very long time. So, um, yeah, just, I'm, there have been a, more of these killings that have happened than I could possibly count. And the fact that there have been so few that have been held accountable has been disgusting and incomprehensible, honestly. So the fact that this outcome is the outcome, uh, guilty on all counts, I feel like maybe it's a start. I hope it's a start. So, it, I mean, it's a, I don't think it's controversial to say that that's what we consider a positive outcome, right? But yeah. the, fact that, the fact that we're kind of waiting on bated breath for, because we're worried that it would go the other way, is says something in itself, right? The fact that we're kind of like, oh God, well, I certainly hope we get that kind of outcome because it's a distinct possibility we might not, is scary. It's, it's horrifying that is as obvious as it seems to I think most people the fact that yeah the fact that we're waiting on pins and needles um is horrible and yeah. I'm just Great. uh I'm just glad that I don't know what the right verbiage is here but it just they got it right it seems like so Hopefully this is a start, but it's got to be a start. It's got to be. It can't be a one and done. No, let's hope so. so. Let's hope so. That's that's kind of good news to hear while recording. Right. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, very much. So. And so, yeah. Anyway, I look. It's a board game podcast, but at the same time, I mean, COVID affects us. I I I feel for those board gamers who have, for pandemic related reasons, been stuck in the house on and off for the last year and haven't had, you know, their best friend to play games with because I'd have gone absolutely insane. And thankfully I have had my best friend to play games with. I've only had my best friend to play games with, which <laughs> kind of, you know, kind of sucks. But, uh, but yeah, it's something, it's, it's something we do together. It's something we enjoy doing together. And I've made a lot of friends along the way doing it as well. So hi. Hello. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, <laughs> right? you're, I mean... you're a key example of this. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> That, uh, exactly. I, I, I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to that, whether they're, you know, whether it's with their significant other, their family and by family, I mean, yeah. you know, the folks that they live with or whatever, but there's also a number of folks out there that, uh, for whatever reason, haven't even had a significant other or whatever. Exactly. And they've, they've either been playing online. I imagine, uh, or, or a ton of solo games. I mean, you yeah. look at the amount of solo games I've gotten in, in the last year and such. Mm. And yeah, it, the last year has definitely put a whole lot in perspective, hasn't it? It's so tough when, you know, you ask me a question like, you know, like, you know, tell me about yourself. And, and, and one of the things you normally go to is you go, well, okay, so this is who I am. Uh, what do I like doing? Okay, so here are my hobbies. And I'm a musician. I can I count that as one of my hobbies. You know, I play in a couple of bands. 
I haven't played in a band for over a year. Is that still my hobby? <laughs> if I've not done it for a year? You know, I, I, I've not been a musician for over a year. Um, I, I'm hanging on by a thread to kind of playing board games because, again, I live with a board gamer and she lives with a board gamer, thankfully. So, you know, you're, you're, people are having to reprioritize the things that are important. And, and some people that have had, people that have had hobbies that they've been able to kind of carry on and has been able to carry on over the last year and, and has kept them sane, I imagine. Uh, then you know, good uh, good luck to them. But I I, also, I feel for people that do things like sports and the like, and ha- simply haven't been able to do any of that stuff. Or um, oh no, I feel sorry for me. I haven't played in a band for over a year. It sucked. <laughs> I, I I think that's valid. I think that's 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 fair. I mean, the yeah, I wow, I, I mean, not like I'm I, I'm able to go and play poker. Uh, Exactly. You know, uh, like what I would want to, or um, I have a uh, I have a postman that that, or I guess he's not a he works at the post office, but he doesn't like go out on a route. So sure. whenever I go into the post office, and he's big into like playing basketball, and mm-hmm. he and I had plans last year to get together and and start playing basketball together. And I would love to be able to do that, but obviously the last year I haven't been able to. And so um, that's now starting back up because he's vaccinated. Yeah. I'm vaccinated. We're going to be able to hopefully um, a week from this recording. In fact, the day this releases, knock on wood, might actually be able to go out and play basketball for the first time Fantastic. in memory. So Fantastic. I feel you. And, and you were talking to me the other day, I think it was last week, about how... Um, Things are still pretty locked down for y'all up in uh, up in Scotland, but that you were able to get together outside with friends, we or, right, for the first time yeah. in forever. Yeah, it was we've been we've had two two big lockdowns in the UK, but even then, I say the UK, Scotland's been doing it slightly different to to England, and so the restrictions have been kind of up and down, and sometimes they've been more restrictive up here, sometimes they've been less restrictive up here, but. Um, We've essentially been locked down since December, and by lockdown, uh, I mean no one's allowed around your house. Uh, you're allowed to meet, you know, you're allowed to go and do some exercise or meet someone for a coffee, that kind of thing. And it's only this week or kind of last week that you're you're actually allowed to. I, th- I think the numbers were um, six people from six different households, but you were only allowed to be outside. So luckily the weather was good last week and we actually got to sit around a fire and kind of chew the fat for the first time in a long time that didn't involve webcams and, uh, you know, text messages and, and, and the like. So it was weird. It was weird. There's a, there's a, and there's a strange, and I hope this doesn't, I hope this doesn't happen with your kind of basketball game next week. But one of the things I've been thinking about is the kind of weight of expectation on things when everything starts to lift. Because we all want to get back to the things that we were doing, right? Those of us that have decided that we still want to do those things, that is, you know, I'd still want to play in a band, thankfully. Sure. Right. Okay. Right. right. So therefore, I would argue you are still a musician then. So, that, okay. That okay. Sense, yeah. Right? yeah. Um, but the weight of expectation for how that's going to go the first time we get back together in a room is crazy. The, the, the whole, you know, we're going to go back into a room and start playing and kind of go, God, do we enjoy doing this? Do we still enjoy doing this? This better be the best damn three-hour jam session we've ever had <laughs> because I've waited a year for this. 
And that kind of goes, goes along with the board gaming thing as well. Uh, that when we start board gaming with people again, kind of round a table, they better be some of the best games we've ever had in our bloody lives because, you know, it's been, it's been a long time since we've done them. So there's this weight of expectation that you're kind of looking across and going, oh my God, my friends are across the table. We can kind of touch the same pieces and we can do all this stuff. And I think my worry is that the first game that we have, you know, four of us sitting around a table or whatever, ends up just sucking. Who cares? <laughs> but in the end, I, I would argue that that really doesn't matter. Just the fact that we'll be able to do that again, I think we'll just appreciate that. And, uh, and the games will just be a conduit. Like the games are going to be secondary to that. And I think in a lot of ways, the games have always been secondary to that. Yeah. And for me, they certainly, for me, they certainly have. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm being kind of flippant about it, but I'm still kind of, there's, there's a bit of me that's, that's thinking, okay, so we've got, so we know what day we're allowed to have people back in our houses on May the 17th, right? My wedding anniversary, actually. Happy um, anniversary. Oh, thank you very much. Um, so when that happens, we're allowed to have two people around here from one household to play a game. What game do we play? And who's it going to be? I mean, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we don't, it's not like we've got hundreds of friends we have to cherry pick from or anything like that. We're not that popular. But, but it's still a kind of, oh my God, well, what's first? What, is it something, is it something that I've been waiting to play for months? Is it something that I've had in my collection because I bought six months ago and needs at least three players? Or is it something that we all know and something that we all are going to have a great time playing because we've missed this? I, I, I think that answer is going to be individual, right? For every person that when they face that question, Mm. my, my, what my gut says is go with something, you know, you're all will enjoy and just ease back into it. And, and also don't put too much pressure on yourself or anyone else and just have fun being you and being Mm. normal, you know, air quote normal around your friends and the people that matter to you because in mm. the end everything else is just stuff it's the, oh, it's God, the yeah. people and the experiences that really really matter so yeah i think that i think in the end outside of solo games you need the other people and you want their companionship and you want their friendship and you want their input and you want their feedback and you want their interactions and ultimately that's really what matters far more than the games themselves you're right I mean, you're absolutely right and i think also that that is going to that is going to affect the kind of games that i want to immediately play i mean that's kind of i guess what i'm kind of drilling down to is that is there having not sat around a table with, a, with, uh, with my friends for a long time. There, there are particular kinds of games that, it, that for, the first, for the first while, the first short amount of time where we're kind of getting back into the swing of socialising around a board gaming table, there's a, partic- there's, a, there's a few kinds of games that just do, it doesn't interest me to play. Uh, and I'll get onto that kind of later on, but... Um, you know, you've been solo gaming quite solidly for the last year, out of necessity. Obviously, you've got a channel. You've, you know, you you you're showing off games, and and you've been able to brilliantly kind of show how good some of the solo 
some of these solo games are, some of the solo versions of, uh, you know, of multiplayer games. And, uh, and there's a whole bunch of games that I don't want to immediately play when we come out of lockdown because I'm itching for player interaction. I'm absolutely <laughs> sure. desperate. Do you know what I mean? You can probably see where this is going, but I kind of want to, I want to, I want to negotiate with people. I want to piss off people because of what I've done on the common board. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to king make. I want to do all these things that involve <laughs> other people around a table. Uh, and there are some things that I'm less interested in doing, which is standing down at a tableau and playing multiplayer solitaire because I feel I've been playing solitaire, solitaire for quite a long time. I but hey, that's, that's just, that's just me. I think that's reasonable and that's fair. And, uh, uh, yeah, just in the end, it's all about enjoying each other's company and having fun doing it in at so, whatever form that takes for each person out there. So I think, uh, I think that's awesome to hear, man. I really do. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, it. uh, it's in, and as I said, it's kind of daunting, uh, it's daunting to get back to real life. Uh, but I think you hit the nail on the head where it's like, well, don't worry about kind of getting back to real life. Just make sure you're having a good time while you're doing it. And because we've missed out on a lot of good times, everyone's missed out on a lot of good times. So let's get back into having them. Hopefully it's, hopefully it's the start of things going in the right direction that is grossly overdue. So you got anything else, Tony? I don't think I do. I mean, I think there's a game that we need to talk about at some point. But hey, we'll get yeah, to that, right? So <laughs> next week, we will be doing a uh, uh, in-depth review of Obsession. And you can you can enlighten my American brain on the difference between Victorian and Edwardian and all of those things. Oh, I have such a bee in my bonnet about the fact that this isn't Downton Abbey, the board game. Oh, don't get me started. Oh, I can't wait to hear about this. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Good stuff. <laughs> Look forward to it. All right. Then, uh, yeah, tune in next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, and uh, it's good to be back on the horse, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, thanks, Tony. I appreciate you taking the time to do this, man. You're welcome. Thanks very much, Edward. Good to be here. All right. See you all next week. <laughs>